and we're going to kind of start from there uh, and try to take a little bit of a chunk going through the six verses dealing with the pieces of armor that we have to battle sin. And when you talk about sin, there's a great author that uh, a lot of you might be familiar with. Maybe I've mentioned his name quite a bit. uh, John Owen, uh, the great theologian, Puritan. And he said this about sin. Sin in the believer is a burden which afflicts him rather than a pleasure which delights him. See, Christians don't really like to sin. They don't really enjoy it. And if they think they're enjoying it at the time, they realize that this is not right. And when when the power of God's Spirit is convicting us, we don't enjoy that whatsoever, do we? So what Owen says there, there's quite a bit of truth with. Uh, the thing is, is that every true believer lives in a spiritual battle and it's constant. And we know that there is unredeemed flesh that we are uh, in, I guess you can say, as the new man is in that flesh. You think of Romans 7, you think of the, uh, the, the love for the law of God, yet at the same time we battle the very principle of sin. Uh, that principle there is constantly uh, battling with us. We, we struggle. But there's uh, a lot of things that are deeply planted in us. Deeply planted. And we know that it's regeneration that has made us new. This new person that we have, this new life principle that um, we know that it wants to do what's right. It wants to do what is true, what is good, what is honorable, what glorifies God. That's a Christian because of this, this new man that's in him, even though we deal with his warfare. Now, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with a warfare that we know that's in reality is a conflict and we know that at the same time it's the path to victory? And that's what Peter's been setting up right at the end of chapter 3, especially in verses 18 through 22. We finish that section and we see that Peter is trying to bring forth to them that no matter what kind of suffering that you're going to go through, no matter what kind of battles, struggles that you're in, in this life, the thing is, it's the path to victory. And he uses Jesus Christ to show that as an example. And would you say that First Peter is a book that is real to all of us? I mean, is, is it applicable? And the more that we get into it, we've, we've seen a lot of doctrine in the book, but uh, boy, how to live it. And what Peter is concerned with as he writes to these Christians that are scattered, the elect, all over the, the world at that time, at least uh, in that area that, that he's dealing with, um, they're experiencing suffering. They're experiencing certain kind of trials. Rejection as being Christians, and of course even from their own families. Uh, direct persecution that they were getting, going to be getting, right? That's been the context as we looked at it every week. And what Peter wants to address is the fact that there's a fundamental attitude with which we are to approach this Christian life. This Christian life, what, what we live, where there's, a, there's an attitude that we have to approach with. And so at the end of chapter 3, right at that end of that section, a very strong point is the greatest point of suffering is going to be bring in the greatest time of victory. Uh, may not seem like it at the time, but that's where everything's headed.
and when we get into chapter four, we we see that the, the example is Christ. What happened there? Uh, there's a cost. It's a cost to follow Christ, isn't it? Forget yourself, take up the cross, follow me. So what Peter is doing here in uh, chapter four, verse one, he's telling that we have armor, and so we're going to take like pieces of armor that can help us battle with sin. Does everybody struggle with sin? Of course, right? Um, let's let's read that. Start at verse one. Therefore, remember that. Why is it therefore? Therefore, after all that. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh while He was here in the body, here on earth, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the Gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. God, arm yourselves. Okay, he's used Christ. That's what we kind of touched on, hit on last week so much. Christ suffered. Christ died. Um, We know that that was the path to triumph. We have the same thing. It says, now here's what you do. Arm yourselves. Right? Arm yourselves. Put your armor on. Kind of reminds you of Ephesians 6. (laughs) Um, Arm yourselves. Are you willing to die for righteous uh, righteousness sake are you willing to do that right the reason is you know that triumph is there after that right if it's not there during the time we you know we can be at peace with that but yet triumph is 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 the whole goal and of course that's what happened we see the glory of god and at the cross of that happening so our first encouragement here and our first piece of armor is that hey christ did this you know he had a he had a plan he had a purpose. He did exactly what uh, he w- was going to do. He chose to do this. And by the way, when wicked men killed him, it wasn't uh, anything new to him, was it? Matter of fact, that was the plan, wasn't it? And he says that no one takes my life from me. Remember in John, John 10? I lay it down on my own accord. So he was in total control even through that all, even though those men are held responsible for their wicked acts of murder. Kind of a sovereign type thought, isn't it? How does God do that, right? Well, um, his fact in our text here is the centerpiece of our armor is Christ Himself. That's where we get the power. That's where everything is focused. Always should be focused on Christ, right? And so when we look at Christ, we look at the cross, we see the power that that comes from there and how we can do anything. This is the creator of the universe. This is the sustainer of the universe. This is the Almighty One. This is God Himself. And uh, we know that uh, He has eternal life for us. 
and we follow Him. So you know what our purpose is? One of the purposes is to suffer and die like Christ did. That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But we've been looking at it in First Peter, was it chapter 3, where it said, it's the will of God that you suffer. It's not that we take a lot of joy. I think about new people coming in and, and you're, you're dealing with a message that uh, most people would want to walk away from. <laughs> but part of the Gospel is the sense that, um, yeah, here's what Christ has done. He died. And, of course, we die daily. But eventually, how are we going to get rid of all of our sin? Even though before God we, we are held in a, in a righteous position, a righteous state, because of, of Christ, it's His righteousness that's on us. We're not held responsible for that as far as judgment is concerned, for eternal life. But yet, as we walk and we live here, we still have our sin, don't we? And um, we have to we have to die to that. And uh, so that's that's our purpose even right now is to continue to die daily. Um, how many of you heard of uh, Richard Wormbrand? Anybody? Yeah. Um, Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you have heard heard him, read some of his stuff. A Romanian pastor, and he was in prison. I think he spent at least 14 years there as for the faith, you know. And uh, he was uh, he was strong. And uh, it's amazing how when you look at the Book of Peter, you see that there definitely were martyrs uh, that were during that time, or that was going to extend out. And then during the early days of the church, he said this. I have accepted this proposal. This is pretty radical here. Christians are meant to have the same vocation as their king, that of cross-bearers. We're not talking about the little crosses that we hang around our neck. We're talking about the real, real cross, which meant death, violent death. He goes on to say, It is this conscience of a high calling and a partnership with Jesus which brings gladness and tribulations, which makes Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom entering a bridal room. <laughs> now that sounds odd. He said that to the world and like, you're nuts. But he says it may, there's this gladness. Even in these trials or tribulations when you're standing up for the faith and Christians enter prisons for their faith with the joy of a bridegroom. That's extending that way out, isn't it? Joy of a bridegroom entering the bridal room. So if you're willing to die for Christ and the cause of Christ, you arm yourself with the same idea that Christ had. Go back to that first verse. We kind of talked about this last week. But therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Arm yourselves with the same purpose, the same anoia. Um, Thinking, mind, purpose, uh, idea. Think the same ideas. Think the same purpose. The same thoughts of Christ. Ah, the mind of Christ. You ever heard of that? We do. We we have the mind of Christ. Sometimes we don't use it, but uh, what he's saying is if 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 you die, you cease from sin. Now we know there's the physical aspect, and that's the only way we're going to get into the kingdom, and you know, of course, have new bodies and be glorified and such. We we're going to have to die, First Corinthians 15 says. But you can also take that to our our daily living, and we're we're, we're ceasing from sin in a sense. You know, we're not going to live a, a, a perfect, sinless life, although there are some theologies that teach that. But I think. Um, 
the enemies or people who would uh, maybe make fun of you because of your Christian faith and because you do certain things and certain things you will not do and some people don't understand it. So therefore, they will maybe ridicule you. Um, Maybe persecution can happen. And uh, what's the biggest threat that they can do? They can say things. Uh, I guess they could... Eventually, the enemy could kill us, right? But the greatest weapon that the enemies have against you is the threat of death. And really, that's not even a threat. Because then we go get to be with the Lord. <laughs> I mean, if that's if that's the worst going to happen, then they don't have a weapon against us. No weapons form against us shall prosper. This is victorious thinking. It sounds negative when you talk about dying. But, um, hey, I want to die to sin. How about you guys? What's the goal of your life? Of course, glorify God. But as you're doing that, you're ce- you know, it's like you're ceasing from sin. There's sin that's being cut off as, as you go on. You, you'll continue this on until Christ comes back or you die. But the rest of your life, while you live in these bodies, are no longer for the lust of men, for the, uh, our own lust, our own desires. And so when, when you think about this, if you start thinking about Christ, and that's where everything starts there. That's, that's our first piece of armor that we have, Christ. No matter what, always look at the cross, look at Christ, look at the whole big picture. You start with Him always. If you have a good memory about what sin did to Christ, if you can think what put Him up there, how He suffered, and how He died, you know, we know that story so well, but um, think about what it did. That can be a pretty good way to uh, stop a sin. <laughs> if you're thinking about it, right? Think Christ. Um, I, I think a second thing is, is what has sin done to Christians? Well, for one thing, we know that many Christians have died. Of course, you look at Fox's Book of Martyrs and you can look all throughout the church history for 2,000 years and you can see what's happened there. Of course, Christians have their own struggles and it it can mess up Christian families even. But um, just to be thinking, the the whole implication here is that you're going to battle all life long until you die. But remember, remember what sin did to Christ? Remember what it does to us or has done to Christians and uh, we know that we want to be restrained we want to be restrained from sin what what we really ought to be as we look at Christ and uh, the things that we don't want to do you can think of the of course the Romans 7 right that struggle that battle if you guys are not familiar with the Romans 7 it's a great place to check it out because you can say man that's me I can identify with that I, I, I do the sin I don't like it I'm not doing the things I should be doing and what a battle but um, you know we, we cry out we cry out to the Lord sin, uh, sin bothers us and we cry out for redemption of the body remember in Romans 8 matter of fact let's turn there for a moment Romans 8 as we battle in uh, in this flesh, as we know it now, uh, verse twenty-two is really good. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers 
creation suffers. The pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we are ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So, waiting eagerly. You know, just extending our necks out, looking, really checking it out. You know, we, we can't wait for that time in that sense. So, let's go to the second one. That's a... That's a piece of armor. What Christ did, and He says, okay, uh, you do this too. Uh, arm yourselves. Think the way that Christ did. What's our second one? And we're going to say, make a clean break with sin. That's a pretty good piece of armor there. Mortifying the flesh. right? Owen wrote on, on that. He says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, in these bodies, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Arm yourselves for this purpose. If you trust God enough, then when it comes a time to choose, saying, okay, these guys over here, this is, this is what the world is telling us to do, but here's what I know is right. Here's God's Word. Here's what the Spirit is about. Here's what He's uh, putting on my heart. And we say, you know what? I'm going to do what's right. You know what that is? It's breaking the sin. Any time that you say no to sin, you're breaking... Uh, and I think it's a decisive break. We realize that, hey, I don't want that. Arm yourselves. It's a military term. And it, it's like putting your armor on or getting, getting ready, preparing for the battle. Have you had any battles today? Any battles this week? <laughs> um, if, if you have a chance to do something here that sounds really good but you know that it's it's not honoring God you make a choice right if you choose sin well then you know that that's going to really tear at you but if you choose what you know it's to be right then that bondage to sin uh, that we really are not underneath uh, we, we break that bondage though every time that we say uh, no I'm not going to do what the world is saying it's a, having a conviction already in our minds, thinking that way, and then when the choice comes between suffering and sin, it might be suffering because you might get persecuted out of it, or you, you might miss a little bit of fun out of that, but it's um, for the fact that you've defeated sin another time. It's always a good thing, isn't it, when you defeat sin? Some of those things that, uh, that we've done in the past that pop up sometimes, you think, oh, I thought I defeated that, and here it comes again. Boom. Where'd that come from? You ever had that? This uh, break is really described in verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. When you, let's say, suffer for what's right, it's a sign that you've renounced sinful human desires. You renounce all those desires. And what you do is you embrace the will of God. Uh, what does sin do to God? Violates His will. Uh, right at the end of verse 2 here. But for the will of God. Not for what feels comfortable with mankind. Um, to do God's will for the rest of our time that we're here. Uh, do not be conformed to this world. But what? Be transformed by what? renewing of your mind which is the will of God it proves the will of God which is good and acceptable and perfect where did that come out of? Romans 12 
1 and 2. After all the doctrine, he says, okay, now live it, right? And that's what Peter's doing. This is practical, practical stuff. Nothing really new here at all, is it? But it's a good reminder. It, it, it helps us. Okay, I like this, um, this one thought in verse 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. It's more than enough what, what you did back then before you became a Christian. Your heart purposed to fulfill evil desire. Um, that's the idea. You carried out the desire of the Gentiles. That, uh, that word there is uh, meaning, of course, uh, evil desires. They're good desires. This is, of course, in context and such as an evil desire. I think way back in chapter 1, verse 18 of uh, Peter here, uh, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. A futile way of life. Uh, empty way. Uh, nothing. Uh, a futile way of life. That's what that life is. Times uh, like those you look back on and you really thank the Lord that you are not hung up in that anymore. How many times do you think about that? You remember those days? He says, it's all sufficient. That time is now done. It's all filled up. You don't even you don't need that anymore. It's more than enough. Suffer if you must, but don't do any more sin. Arm yourself and arm yourself with, with your thinking. With this thought. They really are not. They could look good sometimes, maybe if your mind is not in the right place, and all of a sudden, if you were to return back to that for a moment, wow, it's not the same. That is bad. What did I do that for, right? Uh, Well, if you sinned a lot for many years before your conversion, it's enough. If you sinned very little, you were a young, young, you became a young Christian, I mean, a young age, if you didn't have a lot of sin. By the way, the nature is still there. That's the problem. But if we didn't sin a lot, it was more than enough. It was more than sufficient. You know what? How many times have you heard some people that are not Christians say, you know, I know I really need to get right with God, but... And you know it's coming. There, I just don't want to do that right now. You know, you know why they're saying that, don't you? Because they know that there's other things that they still want to do, and they can't give that up. You know, and of course, giving things up isn't even always the way that we come to Christ. He's the one that draws us and such, and he's the one that starts rooting things out. But there are things that I think your average Joe on the street knows that he's not right with God. There's something there. They might say, well, I've, I've been good. You know, you hear that a lot. But um, it's, it's just like they want to spend a little more time with sin. Not right now. I'll do that a little bit later. Of course, today is the day of salvation. Yeah, they're still enjoying it. They don't want to give it up. And of course, if they don't, at least if they hear the gospel and such, maybe it will ring to them before they die. Um, then again, maybe not. But um, they've spent enough time in their sinning. More than enough. Suffer for it if you must. But 
don't do it if it's something that we know that doesn't honor God. How many here, how many are here tonight that would look at your past and say it was enough? It was more than enough. <laughs> you know, we can say that. I think everybody can say it. Uh, remembering is a key key way of uh, conquering sin. Uh, former lifestyle. Uh, look at in verse four. Oh, well, it's in in verse three actually. It starts in three there. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Just names a few. Get specific. He says, by the way, just right here, you know, and and many can definitely identify this. It, it, pursuing a course is is just this. It, it it's to conduct one's life. That's their lifestyle. That's what they do. They're they're always they're just moving along this course. And of course, if they have the nature of sin, that's just all they do, really. You know. So the verb means to conduct one's life. That's the idea. You conducted your life along this course. And a word that he starts off with is um, sensuality or aselge. Selge means to have restraint, to keep from doing things that are just outlandish, that are terrible, um, not being excessive. Um, that's selge. When you put uh, the Greek letter a, abba, it means a negative. No restraints. Sensuality. No restraints. Uh, debauchery. Excessive indulgences in sensual pleasures. You know, you, you look at this right here and you say, "Wow, this is our culture. This is our society today. This is on the TV. This is in the movies. It's everywhere." So it's a lot of the people that I know, or some of my family, you know, they're, they do the same thing. They don't know any kind of restraint, unbridled, unrestrained vices, debauchery. That's just part of it. That's what you might have once did. Unchecked lawlessness, flaunting the vice in front of everybody, bragging about it. How many times on Monday mornings would you hear people tell you how drunk they got over the weekend or whatever they did, right? And, of course, in the culture we live, it's a pornographic society. You know, it's horrible. It's around us all the time. And what a battle that uh, that is in this whole cultural thing. Uh, the next thing is um, lust. word is evil desires, passion, driven by passion. That's what people live for, for the, the next one, the next one. It's animal instincts. And this is all dealing with feelings, not using the mind. It just does whatever feels good, do it. What did that come out of the 60s? <laughs> it's been here, I guess, really for since man has sinned. <laughs> Mindless indulgence, pleasures, passion pursues these things. Then, of course, drunkenness, bubbling up is a literal meaning of that word. Bubbling up. Sounds like champagne, doesn't it? Inebriation is another word for it. Habitual drunkenness. Living for that. It, it can be just wanting to drink just for the fun of it. And some of the guys that we actually been dealing with, I thought I'd be careful how I say it, but what I mean by dealing is that they helped do a lot of this building. And so we've had really good contact with them and had uh, some more contact tonight of guys that are battling 
I don't know if you can say battling. They just didn't, I think they enjoy it, but I think that they realize that th- this is leading to nowhere. And we're talking drugs. We're talking drinking really bad. And that's what they live for. And they want, their, they want to be paid every day. Because the very moment they get that money, guess what? They go out and buy themselves their alcohol and their drugs. And one of them came in here tonight. I don't know how to take it, but hey, listen, if somebody asks you, you know, hey, uh, I want to know what the Bible's about. And you're wondering, okay, is he really for real? I don't care about that or not. It gave an opportunity, and I said, "Hey, listen, would you like to know what the gospel is? You got about five minutes." And uh, he said, "Sure." And so we went through the gospel, and just, just share with him. Another guy came in at the same time that was kind of his buddy a little bit, and um, so we just got to share share some things, and then uh, you know, been some times and just being able to deal with people that we wouldn't have thought of had we not been here. None in our circles. None in our circles at all. We wouldn't have ever come in contact with them. Where would I want to meet in most places? But then, and it's kind of interesting, a, a couple of them actually came from the same school that Carolyn uh, was going to, so she kind of knew of them a little bit. Well, we've had some great opportunities, and um, but let me tell you, they are driven by the, the, the drinking and, and who knows what kind of drugs and things. But um, I know they're gonna, they are at a point where one of them who is an alcoholic that would say he's not an alcoholic, and you know those guys. And then you say, well, how many DWIs do you have? Uh, one. I said, well, I heard you had three. Uh, yeah, yeah. And by the way, he's going to be going to court. But you know what? That's okay. Because if that's what drives one to see their need, and they really see, they don't see that they're in a bondage, do they? And so... You know, who knows? Who knows what's happening and coming down the line on that? But uh, it'd be good to to pray for these guys. Just keep them in mind because uh, it's been it's been really uh, it's been a good thing. Uh, carousing. There's another thing that goes right with it. Um, wild orgies, wild parties, a band of drunken, wildly acting people who are staggering and swaying and swaggering and singing their way through the streets. <laughs> You know, that's one thing leads to another. Public drunkenness. And some of it led into worship of Dionysius uh, or Bacchus. Dionysius. I always make fun of that name. My name is Dennis. My name came from the Greek word, the Greek god, Dionysius. What a deal, huh? (laughs) Mine didn't come out of the Bible as Bible names. It came from this kind of stuff. But... Um, the worship of Dionysius. That's how they, they brought the drinking and the inebriation into the cults and into the worship, into the temple. And that's how they worship then. <laughs> what a way, right? Um, boy, people could fall into that. They'd love to go to church there, wouldn't they? Or we'll say they're temples. Drinking parties, that's pretty easy. Drinking bouts. Um, just drinking for the sake of drinking, becoming drunk. That's just what they do. Potash. These are all, this, these are normal things. This this is a natural man here. How many people have troubles with these? Abominable idolatries. Then it says, in all this, in all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them in the same excesses. Resented by friends. 
That's what's going to happen. If you say, okay, you know what? I, I had an experience with God. I, I went to church or somebody shared to me some a better way of life. I trusted in Jesus Christ. Oh, man. If you've got somebody you've been running with and all of a sudden you're saying, hey, I, I now have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you could hear a pin drop. People get really kind of either silent or they get very mad because now your lifestyle has changed. Say, yeah, you know what? I, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not really... Not not that much fun anyway, man. It's not good, and they can't understand that. You know how many how many have experienced that? Where there are things that you weren't going to do anymore, <laughs> start losing the friends. Now these guys, it, it's good to still have friends because you, now you can share the gospel, but you don't want to be running with them and let them dominate the, the the kind of thinking, right? They're surprised when you say, "My life has changed." Really surprised. I'm sure that you guys could say, hey, this is going right down the line here and this is pretty easy stuff to understand, isn't it? We've all been here in in one way, different manners, forms. Um, They're going to take offense. Matter of fact, they're going to resent you unless they like your lifestyle and they want to follow too and that's great, isn't it? By the way, it's interesting, one of those guys I was talking about is praying for another one of those guys because he's worse than him. (laughs) That's good. I like that. I like these praying for something's happening. Right? Um, the same excess of dissipation. Now, what is that? In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. Excesses of dissipation. It's like waters coming together to flow. You have waters that are coming from different areas, and then they come and mount together. Or literally pouring into a cesspool. (laughs) There we go. And what he's saying is that you don't want to run with those guys, and they don't understand it because you want you don't want to go into the cesspool anymore. That's kind of the idea here. Very vivid. It's like a large crowd gathering together, and they're running together in a mad, wild race, and they don't even know what they're running for. They're just running. They're just doing it. They're racing. And uh, um, the word excess is where there's a confluence of waters that, that join together, a together flow. Uh, some say it's also the idea of a cistern. I think better it's uh, others suggesting uh, the refuse pouring into a, a cesspool. Uh, dissipation means the, uh, a state of evil. A person thinks nothing but evil. That's his lifestyle, that's his nature, that's what he does. And uh, that's where we were at. A burning passion. People are mindless. They just do whatever that uh, feels good and they think is right. That's what they do to get their kicks. That's, he says, you know what? All that time that you did with that, it's enough. You've had enough of that. You don't want to do that anymore. And yeah, they're going to malign you. What, what happens when you start becoming more like Christ? Either people are going to be wanting to be around you or they're going to start maligning you, persecuting you, because your lifestyle, first of all, is going to convict them. And then if you say something, or just talk about Christ, it makes them uh, very upset, angry. Uh, Hopefully people would be attracted to that, but most won't. But, um, man, you hold it out there just hoping and praying that uh, the Lord is working 
you know, in in your life. Well, sometimes it takes years and years later, but they always remember that maybe in a bad life, so too, until they were down the line. That's right. Well, Peter's saying this is hardly a spa, a vacation spot for a Christian. You know, this cesspool. This is hardly the place for you. Remember how it was? <laughs> Dissipation, state of evil, nothing but evil. They'll malign you. It's interesting, the word for that malign is blasphemeo. You'll never guess where, what word came out of that, right? <laughs> Blasphemy, right? Uh, speaking evil of you, slandering you. Uh, but the thing is, remember, if they're slandering you and they're saying terrible things and they're making up lies or whatever they're doing, it's better to be righteous and to even suffer for it, if that may be, because you're suffering triumphantly. This is the path that Christ took, right? You know, we're triumphant. We're not going into the cesspool. Think about where we're headed. Does that make sense? What's another piece of armor? Verse five. But they, and this this is really uh, we'll, we'll settle things down here. It gets uh, very sobering here. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Stop there. We don't have to be taking vengeance. We've already seen that in Peter. You don't even have to worry about it at all. Matter of fact, just let it bounce right off of you. If somebody says hateful things, does terrible things to you, Peter is saying, hey, listen, it's God who's going to take care of this. You don't have to worry about it. Don't let it consume you. Uh, God is going to settle all accounts. He can do it here, and sometimes He does. But I can tell you what, He will definitely judge in the end, and He will do it far better than we can ever imagine. He will take care of it right. Um, God has it on his in His books. Uh, give account to Him. That's a bookkeeping term. God has it in His books and the the payment is the judgment. Um, If you were to look in Matthew 18, verse 23 and following that. Matthew 18, 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell down to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, I'll repay you. But he was unwilling, went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Of course, ultimately, I mean, that's, that's a warning for anybody, but ultimately it's talking about a judgment on an unbeliever. But um, you know, God is a God who judges. He's holy. He's righteous. And uh, he hates sin in this sense, uh, the matter of forgiveness that was not practiced, uh, which a, a man had experienced forgiveness and didn't practice it on somebody else. Um, there's coming a time when they're going to repay. You think of uh, Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. God opens his books. People are going to be struck dumb before a holy God at that judgment throne. And they're going to be thinking they're going to throw out some of the good things that they did and they won't have a thing to say. There's nothing there that they can do before this holy God. So it's just for God to repay. And He can done that with every one of us. We all could be in that same boat. By His grace, He lifted us out of this life that we were in and bondage to sin. But he's saying, their day will come. Their day will come. Today, you know, we can think that we can call people to account of their sin, can't we? And that's, and, and that's one thing. I think there is time to do that. Parents have to do it. Policemen have to do it. Um, elders in a church. Employers. They, that's where they, you know, there has to be you know, a, a discipline in, um, in everyday life. And in this sense, we know that, okay, some of that's carried out now. We have policemen. Aren't you glad? You know, we have the government that's supposed to be doing some things, and, you know, they, they do good sometimes. But um, we want justice to be done. There's always that feeling. If you, if you see a parent who's lost a child because somebody murdered them, they want justice. Even if they didn't believe in it before, or the you know like a, a death penalty or something like that. All of a sudden, it's interesting, isn't it? That those people now want a death penalty for that. You know, they, people want justice. Nothing will be forgotten by God. Judge, uh, the judge is perfect in every way. And uh, so, if we think that people are escaping and they're getting away with it, and you see it, and you see it in the government, you see it in in, in every avenue in our lives, you can say. How can God let them do this? Well, let me tell you, if He doesn't get them here, and He probably will in some way, He will judge them later. Man, there's a lot of passages dealing with the judgment of God. We're about out of time, really. But leave the judgment to God. That's quite a piece of armor right there, knowing that God will take care of this. We don't have to worry about it. Isn't it great? We don't have to carry that around with us. We can just let it bounce off. One other thing, and, and uh, got to leave on a real positive note here, right? <laughs> the good news, right? Is it a struggle sometimes to battle every day? It's hard. It really is. We may not have those same kind of things there that uh, maybe once did, or some people have in dealing with that. But there's always something. It can be attitudes. It can be our thinking. Our thinking needs to be changed constantly. We're not thinking right, right? We want to think more like Christ. Let's finish it up verse 6. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead. 
Now, do you think he's talking about going preaching to the dead? <laughs> we live and then we die once and then comes the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 uh, Those people that he's talking about there, I do believe, there are different views on this, but um, I think it's talking about the ones who are were Christians, they have died, and um, the, the gospel was preached to them for this purpose, then preached even to those that are now dead. Okay? That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. For the Gospel has been preached, the message of Jesus Christ, right? They heard the Gospel. They're now dead, dead saints, uh, but they're alive in the Spirit. That's one idea. Can you imagine living according to the will of God in every aspect? According to the will of God, perfectly. That's what we don't do because of this battle. Be nice. It is going to happen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Eventually, we will have perfect harmony, no sin whatsoever. And uh, so. Uh, there might have been some that Peter might have even been thinking right here. Remember, there was persecution happening. Maybe possibly some of those people that they knew, some of them had died. It was somebody they knew that died for the faith. Such persecution, martyrdom happened there. And um, the Gospel was preached to them. So they won't face that white throne judgment. Their sins were judged. I think the point of this verse is to encourage us and uh, we know there's a judgment coming, and if you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. We, we fear God. Uh, we reverence when we are in awe of Him, but we know that He'll never judge us because of our sins that have been taken away. Doesn't you know, That's so simple, but isn't it so profound? Uh, your God, our God, He's great. And He saves us, gives us joy. We might be missing a lot of parties, drinking, the drugs, abominable idolatries and crowsing around. We might we might be missing that, but we're really not, are we? No way. We might not be doing those things, but let me tell you, we don't even have a a thriving to do it. We we don't want to do that. But the rest of the world out there, they're saying, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Let's take advantage of it now. Your best life now. <laughs> Peter's armor against this slander, I think, helps us embrace whatever we're going through in our lives. Uh, it's just like Jesus. The Gospel was not preached to your dead Christian friends in vain. See, it was for them that uh, they would uh, be saved and they will not be judged like the rest of the world. They are alive in the Spirit. We are alive right now. Of course, we're alive in the Spirit, but um, there are people that are with the Lord right now. And the sufferings that they experienced here are not even worthy to be compared to the glory of God. And uh, when we think of that, I think again of that Romans 8.17. And if children, heirs, 
heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we what <laughs> suffer with Him, why? So that we may also be glorified with Him. So there's the path. So sometimes things don't seem like they're going the way they should. Just realize God is working a work in you and He's making this go right under the path of glory. That's all about so we can give glory to Him. And uh, so He takes us back right to where we all started here. All death can do, or dying daily, or dying eventually. All it's going to do is bring you into everlasting life in the presence of God. <laughs> and we're in His presence right now. And, uh, it's a joy to uh, spend some time with God's people. There was a time whenever I didn't spend time with God's people, I spent it with other people who didn't uh, enjoy the things of God, and I didn't enjoy the things of God. And uh, what a difference it is. I thank the Lord. And that's been quite a few years ago, many years, but it's a, it's a joy. Thank you guys for coming out, being a part of that. Thanks again, Matt, and your whole family coming out. It's been a, been a joy. and hope to be able to fellowship and talk with you anytime. You're welcome to call Facebook or whatever. Bob, would you like to lead us in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day and this time now to be together and uh, to receive your word, Lord. Um, help us to understand it better and to know you, be closer to you through this. Um, Father, we uh, we're so thankful that your mercies are new every every day, and uh, we can know that because of your faithfulness and your provision your su- sustaining of your people Lord that you're going to take care of us and it's all about you anyway so help us to seek your glory uh, in all the things of our lives Lord and to honor you and to uh, learn to love more like our Savior Jesus Christ in whose name we pray Amen Amen Yeah.